0: Hello everyone, this is part two of the Hamburg Cell interview on the Roads to 9-11 series with Adam Fitzgerald. Adam continues the story of the terrorists who went from Hamburg to Florida, and this episode kind of concludes the series, although I'll be doing stuff with Adam over on his new channel, The Darkened Hour, and you can check out the links to that below, we'll just go into more detail on some of these things, and some of the more general ones I'll post on my own, but if you're into the, the real detail of it, uh, check that out too. Okay, so here's Adam actually starting over on the west coast as he's wrapping up some of the Saudi involvement and sponsorship of the terrorists there
1: Well, I'll start well west first and that's Khalid al-Minar and Nawaf al-Hamdi uh, These are the first future hijackers to enter the United States uh, All under the watchful eyes of the Central Intelligence TC, the Saudi general directorate and the Israeli Mossad. while the Saudi intelligence operatives Follow Al-Midar and Al-Hazmi. The Israeli Mossad will monitor the Hamburg cell on the East Coast. Uh, Al-Midar and Al-Hazmi are closely guarded by two Saudi nationals who immediately begin the funding process with Omar Al-Bayumi. Meeting both men at the LAX airport inside a restaurant, um, he offers these men a rental home in San Diego. Uh, he also gives them money. Uh, helps him rent a car, uh, rent uh, an apartment. Meanwhile, other Saudi nationals will also help them uh, get driver's licenses and uh, food. Uh, The Saudi nationals' name is Osama Basnan. Um, Back in 1993, Osama Basnan holds a house party for um, the infamous Omar Abdel Rahman, who's the blind sheikh. Um, The FBI knew about that meeting, and while they monitored the party, uh, they also found out that Basnan had a guest visa which long ago expired back in 1980, but they failed to act on this, even though they know it's an expired visa for that law.
2: Okay, and Uh, these Saudis, Basnan, um, are they random Saudis, religious religious fanatical Saudis, or are they they connected to the Saudi state, the Saudi intelligence in any way?
1: Well, well, they're radicals in their own right. I mean, Osama Basnan is known to praise Osama bin Laden, uh, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, Um, Omar al-Bayoumi is a little bit more moderate, but they both have, um, according to the joint house inquiry in the 28 pages, it shows that both men were directly linked with the Saudi intelligence, general intelligence directorate. And so they have uh, strong links to not only to the government, but also with Osama Bastan uh, to uh, numerous uh, terrorist organizations as well inside the Saudi government, inside the Saudi kingdom. Um, now, however, a report will come out after 9-11 attacks that Basnan is working for Saudi government, but the reports of the details, of the finer details regarding Basnan, are classified. So there's that with Basnan. And Omar Bayoumi, um, when they interviewed him, the entire report is redacted, because the 9-11 Commission actually went to the Saudi kingdom and uh, interviewed both Basnan and Bayoumi, but both of those reports, you can't read anything. So, was
2: there, was there an officially stated reason why the reports were redacted?
1: Well, sure because they have uh, Contacts within the United States uh, uh, Omar al-Bayoumi himself has a company that's in Colorado and when they are uh, when they um, Arrested Ab- Abu Zubaydah the FBI did and when they captured him on his possession They found business cards directly linking to one Omar al-Bayoumi and his phone number on the card. So whether that uh, Omar al-Bayumi and has incriminating reports you could read into 28 pages even though that's redacted but not fully you can get a you can get a uh, summarization that these people were inside the United States dealing with um, businesses in Colorado while conducting uh, clandestine operations spying on the United States as well as funding uh, you know these al-Qaeda operatives inside the United States so what they probably said in those redacted reports probably had to do with Khalid al-Midar and Owafahan for sure.
2: Okay, um, so this is, yeah, this is the 28 pages and the idea that the Saudi state was some way involved with nine eleven, in either sponsoring it or had a connection of the hijackers and there was sure. financial transfers going on right between... Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. I'll get into that in a bit. Um, okay. But yeah, for sure. F- the funding itself came um, indirectly, indirectly from all the way up to U- the U.S. ambassador to the United States, Saudi, U.S. ambassador, um, bandar bin sultan so i'll get into that in a bit um, getting back to how has and Khalid al-midar uh al-hasby uh while he's inside the united states gets a job without with khalid al-midar uh working for uh sam start Mart, which is a gas station located in la mesa san diego and al-hasby and midar were both hired by the owner of the station his name was osama Mahmoud Mustafa, nicknamed Sam, by the people who frequent his store. Uh, Mustafa also espoused anti American rhetoric from time to time, and a lot of people noticed this about him. Meanwhile, um, the Haber cell prepares their journey into the United States, uh, prepared by their Syrian contacts of Muhammad uh, Hayden Zamar and Mark Moon Darkinzali. Um, After their meeting with Bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in Afghanistan, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al Shahi report their passports missing. Zia reports his missing in February 2000. Now, this is most likely to to clear their tracks after they visit Afghanistan, so international agents wouldn't be suspicious of them. And Marwan al Shahi was the first of the Hamburg group to leave for the United States. Uh, he arrives in Newark, New Jersey on May 29, 2000. The second to arrive is uh, Mohamed Atta, who applies for a U.S. visa, in which he receives it the very next day. He travels by bus on June second for Hamburg to Prague, and he stays there overnight before traveling uh, to the United States the very next day. Ziad Jara, on May 25th of 2000, applies for and receives his five-year visa, five-year U.S. business visa. And on, on June 27th of 2000, he enters Newark International. Jara is the only hijacker who enters the United States multiple times, seven times. He'll come in and out of the United States, and he leaves the U.S. while returning at different times throughout the year 2000 and 2001. Uh, Jara en- enrolls right away at the Florida Flight Training Center in Venice, Cal- in Venice, Florida. He enrolls in flight schools for six months, and from June 2000 to January 15th of 2001, Ada and Marwan Alshehi begin taking flight lessons at multiple schools, locking in hundreds of hours of flight training, flight schools such as uh, Opa Loca in Florida and Huffman Aviation. All three men would also get driver's licenses in their names in Florida. And in October of 2000, Muhammad Atta and Marwan al Shahi would return to Huffman a second time. And by November of 2000, Atta would earn his commercial pilot's license and Marwan al Shahi would serve his in December of 2000. Both men in December would also enroll at Eagle International to continue their flight training in large jets. This They would also enroll at Opaloka and train in simulator jets. And both would purchase uh, flight deck videos for Boeing 747s. Hani Andruar enters the United States in December of 2000 and he stays in San Diego for a brief period. And already al Hazmi and Al-Midar are attending a, a San Diego flight school in May of 2000 called Montgomery Field. But they were so poor that instructor Rick Garza fails them. And on top of that, they spoke terrible English. Well, Al Midar spoke none at all. Uh, Hondra would log in the most hours as a pilot out of all the 9-11 hijackers. And he was inside the United States in as early as 1992. He went to the University of Arizona. I just uh, talked about that in our previous uh, Hamburg cell video. And here, Hondra would enroll at uh, English language courses and also file for another U.S. visa. His first visa was a, a student visa, a B visa, it's called, approved by the Saudi consulate in Jeddah, which was the same consulate, which was in, uh, headed by J. Michael Springman. Now, J. Michael Springman uh, infamous, infamously suspends 11 applications, um, regarding, most of them regarding uh, the future 9 11 hijackers, because a lot of these um, applications were incomplete. And he suspended them, but he was overridden by his superiors. And I forgot the name of the woman um, who actually uh, um, who overrid him. And she was linked to the, I think, to the Central Intelligence Agency. But that's uh, speculation. So take with a grain of salt. Um, but a lot of these applications were approved. In fact, all of them were. And a lot of them were 9-11 hijackers. So... Um, but Ada and Al-Sheyid were rented apartment in Florida, and one place they stayed at was in the Ho- Hollywood, Florida, and one block away from where they lived uh, was an apartment rented by Israeli Mossad agents posing as art students. Meanwhile, Ramzi bin Shabib uh, tried to enter the United States to meet with the Hamburg cell adoptives because he wanted to be part of the operation, but he was denied entry from a consular agent in Germany Uh, On his application, the agent also noted that al-Shib, Ramzi bin al-Shib, had no income, and he had no education. And meanwhile, he's traveling back and forth to the Middle East, most notably Afghanistan. So his application was denied. I'm going to break down uh, the rest of the 9-11 hijacker team who had entered the United States at different times. So here they are. Ahmed al-Ghamdi enters uh, the United States in September of 2000. He receives his two-year tourist visa from the Saudi consulate in Jeddah, Springman's office. If you hear a Saudi Jeddah office, that's the Springman's office. He was not interviewed. His application was incomplete. Hamza al-Ghamdi enters the United States October of 2000, receives his two-year tourist visa from the Jeddah consulate office. He had no visa problems. However, his application was incomplete. He was not interviewed. Mohan al sherhi enters the United States in October of 2000, receives his two-year tourist visa from the Jeddah Consulate's office. His application was incomplete. He was not interviewed. Ahmed Al nami enters the United States in October of 2000, receives his two-year visa for the Jeddah Consulate's office. His application was incomplete. He was not interviewed. Waleed Al-Sheri and Whale Al-Sheri both received their visas. However, the Sheri brothers have a relative in the Saudi passport office who provide them with new passports and after their return from Afghanistan. Ahmed al-Haznawi enters the United States in November of 2000. He receives his two-year tourist visa from the Jeddah office. His application was complete, but he was not interviewed. Majid Makhed enters the United States in November of 2000, receives a two-year tourist visa from Jeddah. His application was incomplete, he was not interviewed. Satam al Soskami enters the United States in November of 2000, receives his two-year tourist visa from the Riyadh consular's office. He was given an interview, and he also completed his application. He told the consular agent he was a businessman. Saeed al-Ghamdi, he entered the United States in June of 2001. He received his two-year visa from the Jeddah consular's office. He was not interviewed. His application was incomplete. Abdul Aziz Alomari enters the United States in June of 2001, receives a two year visa from the Jeddah office. His passport had travel stamps that was known to be associated with Al Qaeda. However, he was not interviewed, his application was incomplete, and his application was approved through the Visa Express program. It was a U.S. Visa Express program. Fire is Bani Hama. June of 2001, he enters the United States receives a tourist visa from an Abu Dhabi, UAE consular's office. His application was incomplete, but Bani Hamad was a former immigration officer himself who was not given an interview because of this. Salim al-Hazmi, June of 2001, he enters the United States, receives a two-year tourist visa from the Jeto office. His application was incomplete, and his application was passed through the visa program. He was interviewed. Finally, in, June of two, in July of 2001, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed obtains a business visa into the United States. In the South, um, he used the alias Abdul Rahman Al-Gham and receives his passport from the Riyadh consul office. However, there is no evidence that he uses his passport to enter the United States. Most of the hijackers would obtain Florida driver's licenses as well as Virginia driver's licenses. Fourteen of the 19 hijackers obtained new passports shortly before they applied for the U.S. visas. Three of the hijackers Khalid al-Midar, Nawaf al-Hamzi, and Salim al-Hazmi Presented their visa applications passports. They contained an indicator of possible terrorist affiliations. 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals. All 19 of the still existing hijack applications were incomplete in some way, with a data field left blank or not answered fully, while only two of them were interviewed. Eight of the eight other conspirators in the plot attempted to acquire US visas during the course of the plot. Three of them succeeded. Of the five conspirators who failed to obtain visas were the following Taufik bin Atash, nicknamed Khalad, Ramzi bin Al shib Saeed Al ghamdi not the same hijacker, Zakari Esabar, and Ali Abdul Aziz Ali. Four of these people are currently awaiting trial at the Guantanamo I'm sorry, three of them, uh, which is Tawfiq ben Atash, Ramzi bin Shabib, and Ali Abdul Aziz Ali, are awaiting trial in Guantanamo Bay. In June of 2001, Mawan Al Shehi, Ziyad Jara and Muhammad Atta all traveled to Spain to meet with Ramzi bin al And Atta had complained to bin al about his difficulty in getting um, through to Jara, about his fears, and, uh, because they feared that Jara might withdraw from the plot completely. He was complaining that he misses his girlfriend. Um, it was here that Jara would travel to Germany and meet with his girlfriend, Aizel Sanguin for the last time. Um, he would meet with uh, Ramzi bin el at a later meeting and it was here that bin al-Shibh uh, convinced the Jara to go through with the operation. Jara arrived back inside the United States on August 5th of 2001. Sanguine said that she visited Jara in the U.S. at an earlier date and he flew her to Key West in a small plane. Um, she was also with him when he rented a Boeing flight simulator in Miami in early 2001. Jara had urged her not to tell anyone he was in the United States. Uh, meanwhile, Ata had approved the Seguin visit to meet with Jara because Jara had become withdrawn and morose in mm-hmm. his attitude. Meanwhile, um, Al Hasbi and Al Midar uh, relocates numerous times out west and fi- before finally moving east coast. Uh, they left. They began leaving from San Diego to Mesa, Arizona virginia and finally uh, relocating to washington dc Anwar al al laki meanwhile in, uh, uh, infamous yemeni um, uh, preacher imam meanwhile had served as an imam to the dar al-jahar mosque in washington dc uh, where all three of the 9-11 hijackers al-midar al hazmi and Hani jur who once frequently visited san diego began visiting his mosque there in June of 2001, Al-Hazmi was involved in a minor traffic accident and police came to Al-Hazmi's calls and filed a complaint and accident report. Meanwhile, Al-Hazmi moves in with uh, Hani Anjou into an apartment in Patterson, New Jersey and they go and frequent a video store. And there is a, um, a point I'll make real quick uh, regarding a speculative point made by Wayne Madsen in his book, The Star and the Sword, Supposedly, uh, in this video store in Patterson, New Jersey, um, a couple of the 9-11 hijackers, perfectly, Hani Jora Al-Hawgi, and al Midar, meet with, quote-unquote, Mossad operatives within urban moving systems, end quote. Um, supposedly, there's video evidence of this that was uh, uh, collected by the FBI. I would tell you to take that information with a grain of salt. Because it comes from Wade Madsen, who uh, many people consider a, consp- a fringe conspiracy theorist. Although I think uh, a couple of instances in the book of The Star of the Sword is pretty good because uh, a couple of things are referenced. Now, a lot of that is referenced to his website, although not everything. So, what I say to you, the listener or the viewer, is to take that information with a grain of salt. Muhammad Atta. Uh, meanwhile, it was living in the same city, but at another location in, in Paris, New Jersey. And on August 4th, Muhammad Atta arrives at Orlando International to meet with a suspected 20th hijacker, Muhammad al Qatani, who arrived from Dubai. However, he was denied entry. He was detained as well. Meanwhile, another possible hijacker, uh, Zacharias Musawi, had already been living inside the United States in Minnesota, where he was arrested uh, by the FBI in August of 2001 on immigration charges. Musawi tried to take courses at uh, Airman Flight School in Norman, Oklahoma, and despite 57 hours of flying lessons, he failed and left without ever having flown solo. Um, the school was also visited by Mahavadat uh, and Marwan al in 2000 uh Musawi then, then relocates to another city in Oklahoma, in Minnesota and enrolls at Pan Am International in Flight Academy at Egan, Minnesota. It was here that he received a 4000 wire transfer, four dollars wire transfer from uh, Ramzi bin al And Clarence Prevost, the flight instructor assigned to Musawi, had begun um, you know, arousing suspicions, especially with Musawi, especially when he began writing emails asking how to fly the plane, but not landing it. Um, Prevost uh, then called the FBI, who then began monitoring Vassalian. Materials uh, itemized when he was arrested uh, by the FBI, including a laptop computer, uh, two knives, uh, flight manuals pertaining to a Boeing uh, 747 aircraft, a flight simulator complete computer program. Um, fighting gloves and shin guards and a computer disc with uh, information about crop dusting um, there was also a rumor that Muhammad Atta uh, traveled to Oklahoma to try and rent crop dusting planes uh, this was um, uh, proven by uh, a person, a woman I forgot, uh, uh, forgive me for forgetting her name who uh, went on I think ABC News and said that uh, yes he met a person that resembled Muhammad Atta al shahi who tried to rent crop dusting planes. Um, FBI agent Colleen Raleigh also made repeated requests for permission to search Musawi's uh, personal uh, laptops and his room. How, however, the multiple requests was denied by her superior, who was Deputy Ger- uh, General Counsel Marion Spike Bowman, who also later rejected uh, our previous uh, statements and previous um, Uh, documents made by other agents based upon FISA regulations. Um, And on August 27, Jara, August 27, 2001, Zia Jara checks into a Laurel, Maryland motel only a mile away from the Valencia hotel where other four hijackers are staying. He never stays with the hijackers, stays alone. Just days before the operation the group would begin moving into the cities in which their boarding passes were bought for the final final phases of the hijacking operations. On September 10th of 2001, Ata picked up Alamari from the Milner Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts, and the two drive to their rented uh, Nissan uh, Nissan Altima car to a comfort inn in South Portland, Maine. On the way, they were seen getting gasoline in an Exxon gas station. And on September 10th of 2001, Hadi Anjur, Khalid al-Midar, and Nawaf Hamzi checked check into the Marriott Residence Inn in Herndon, Virginia, where a prominent uh, Saudi government official was also staying in a separate room. His name was Salah ibn Abdul Rahman Hussein. He is known in the United States as a prominent uh, government official. He knows a lot of high-ranking U.S. government officials in both the Democratic and Republican Party. On September seventh of two thousand one, all four of the Flight ninety three hijackers flew from Fort Lauderdale to Newark International Airport, where Jara would rent a separate hotel, like I said, at the day's room in Newark, while the others would rent room and stay together in, in the in the same hotel, but Jara stayed in a separate hotel room. He never stays with the hijackers anywhere, even in Germany, even in the United States. And he only meets with Ata. Uh, and never meets with the other hijackers at all. Um, The others would rent rooms and stay together. On September 9th of 2001, Al-Hazmi and Al-Midar drop off a bag at the Iowa Dawa Mosque they frequented in Laurel, Maryland. The bag would contain um, pilot logbooks and receipts and other evidence documenting their brief flight training that they received, uh, even though they failed miserably, in San Diego in early early 2000. The FBI later retrieves this bag during the pent bomb investigation after 9-11 attacks. The reason for this is um, we don't know, um, basically, but um, as you can see that a couple of these hijackers leave incriminating evidence almost to lead a trail of look in this direction instead of other directions. So the FBI then begins a dragnet investigation as the CIA liaison office chiefs finally tell the FBI on August 21st of 2001 that two men, al uh, Al midar and Al-Hazbi, were inside the United States during a principals meeting where counterterrorism chief Richard Richard Clark holds. But the information is so vague that the FBI uh, goes into San Diego and New York trying to find these individuals and they don't know where they're looking at. The report is vague and doesn't mention that both al-Qaeda operatives were long gone from San Diego, and doesn't mention either by their full name. Meanwhile, Atta and al would travel to Portland the night before the attacks. Now, the 9-11 Commission states that this was to ward off suspicion about too many Arab males boarding planes at Logan Airport. However, this reason would be quite faulty due to the fact that they just about almost missed uh, boarding American Airlines 11 by minutes, minutes. There is something more to this event, I believe. Now, this is just what I'm speculating here, but I believe that the reason why they were doing this is so that they are meeting with other operatives because there's clear evidence that more planes would be uh, involved in this hijacking operation. And I can get into that in a little bit. In fact, I will get into it more detail uh, in our future podcast, which me and Richard will describe after I'm done here. Um, but there was more... Uh, Planes that would be hijacked and who they were meeting at this time is unknown Um, So take that with a grain of salt if you will. That's my speculation Jara on September 10th writes a final letter to his girlfriend Hazel Seguin in it He makes vague declarations about meeting her for a future date at a different time um, And how the operations will be celebrated. However, Jara would write the wrong address now I find this to be very suspicious because if you fight if you're writing a letter to your girlfriend the final letter to the person that you love you're gonna get everything right but he writes the wrong address meanwhile
2: I'm just curious to know was it the house he shared with her back in Hamburg
1: yes it was in fact he,
2: he got the fact, wrong he got his own address wrong essentially
1: right forget right but I'm sorry it was the I'm so, no no that's that's incorrect let me correct that it was a house that uh, Seguin lived in separately so Okay. she lived in a separate apartment but he visited his apartment frequently, m- numerous times. So you would think that he knows the apartment address. And um, on my Facebook account, I went to great detail about um, this story as itself. If you want to visit my Facebook account, Adam Fitzgerald, I, I go into this in more detail. Um, but the, the, by meanwhile, the letter was intercepted because the letter went back to the the uh, the place of where Zayajar was staying in his hotel, but it was in- intercepted by the FBI after the 9-11 attacks, the day after. Um, During the late evening, the FBI had begun a rushed investigation in al Hazmi and Al-Midar. FBI agent Robert Fuller, uh, who begins looking for Noafa al and Khalid Al-Midar, that Al-Midar did not stay at the New York City hotel. He listed in his application for his visa as a destination when when he arrives in the U.S. in July of 2001. Um, meanwhile, Al Almedar, who traveled to Los Angeles on, on January 15th of 2000, had immigration records indicated that they claimed to be destined for the Sheraton Hotel in Los Angeles. Fuller drafts an investigation lead for the Los Angeles FBI office asking that the office to search the Sheraton Hotel concerning any stays by Midar and Hazmi in the early 2000. But the search turns up nothing because neither of them stayed at the Sheridan Hotel. So it was a dead end, and the FBI really um, were looking for ghosts at that point. Um, September 11th, 2001, Muhammad Atta and Abdul Aziz Al-Amari board Colgan Air 5930 from Portland International. Ada checks in two bags. The flight from Portland departed on time and arrives at Boston Logan at 6.45 a.m. Atal and Al-Amari would have a very tight schedule now because they chose a connecting flight to American Airlines Flight 11. Michael Tuway, a U.S. Airways ticket agent, told both men that they would have to check in again before boarding the flight out of Boston. Atal's bags, his two bags, would never make the connecting flight. Waleed Al-Sherry, Whale Al-Sherry, Satam Al-Sakami, arrived at Morgan, Logan Airport at 6.45 a.m. Hamza al-Ghamdi, Ahmed al-Ghamdi, Fayez Barna Mohand al sheri and Marwan al sheri would board United Airlines Flight 175 between the times of 7.23 and 7.28 a.m. Hani Anjur, Nawaf al-Hazmi, Khalid al-Midar, Majid Makid, and Salim al-Hazmi all board American Airlines Flight 77 and a suspected six hijacker, which Nelson Martins details in his documentary, Six on 77. Flight 77 leaves the gate on time and took off from a runway 30 at Dulles Airport at 8.20 a.m. They're in direct contact with Indianapolis air traffic control. Saeed Al-Ghamdi, Ahmed Al-Nami, Ahmed Al-Haznawi, all board United Airlines Flight 93 approximately at 7:39 a.m. However, Ziad Jarrah, the pilot for Flight 93, calls his girlfriend easel Sanguine from a public telephone at the airport terminal, repeating his words, "I love you" over and over. However, this is contradicted from the FBI suggesting that in the 9/11 report that it is unknown. To this day, whether the calls Seguin from the Newark Airport Terminal or at the Days Inn Hotel. There are no cameras at Newark Airport, but there is CCT camera at Dulles, uh, Dulles Airport showing all the hijackers going going through security screening. The video, okay, you wanted to ask a question? Well,
2: yeah, a couple of things. There. It, how can they not know what phone he called from? Because phones leave a paper trail. Right. Right. Right.
1: Uh, Right, so
2: I don't understand that. And um, could you just comment on the idea of there not being security cameras at an airport? Because, um, you know, I'm th- trying to think back to traveling through British airports around the year 2000. Okay. Right. Um, and I know of places like Belfast. You know, I had a, a friend of mine who worked in security there. And he took him into the room and he said there was nowhere in the airport which didn't have a security given the camera. He was just, just amazed the coverage they got right now is Belfast, which is like a terrorist hotspot. okay um but the idea of an airport not having security cameras is something that a lot of people have said well that sounds that's not credible that's incredulous well, what, what are your thoughts on that the two things there really the the phone call how could they not know where it was from and is it credible that airports have no security cameras
1: well all right to go to the previous the first point um the fbi actually know and they told the nine eleven commission, but there's a lot of controversy surrounding Ziyajara Jara. If you want, I could go into detail about that.
2: And regard- what, well, whenever you want to, because I, I guess you're going to mention Ziad Jara a bit because of his family connections. do not give the game away. I'll let you tell the story. But um, so, like, either like you can talk about that now, or just say come back to it in a minute and mention the phone call. Then, if it fits the, the narrative better,
1: I, I could go back to. Can, can we can we hold that off uh, regarding yep. the, the uh, yep. conspiracy regarding ZRJR? I will get into that a, a, after I'm done here. But um, can we save that for like a question and answer for you? Yeah, by, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That, okay. Um, as for the CCT cameras now, Motley Rice, which is a law firm in Chicago, which is basing which is representing the nine uh, eleven victims' families, and there's a lot of families involved. There's like I think um, approximately thirty. Don't hold me to the number on that but there's a lot of families involved with this investigate, uh, law firm. They put in the request and freedom of information request regarding all the security cameras from Newark, from Logan and at Dulles. And they received the video camera regarding the security screening only at Dulles, uh, at, uh, Dulles because Logan and Newark International doesn't have cameras at security screening. They, do have cameras elsewhere within the airport now i don't know for fact i don't know for a fact whether they requested that specific video or that was involved in the foa request regarding the videos for all three airports i myself um have video which very few people in the probably in the united states have and it was given to me by Nelson Martin's, who got it from a third party, and of course everybody sees the Dulles video where you see the three minute—I think it's three minutes or five minutes long—where you see people going through screening. You see Khalid al and other the hijackers coming through, and there's a lot of controversy saying, "Oh, there's no timestamp, right? There's no timestamp." Now, I have in my possession other areas of Dulles Airport in 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 my possession. I, I'm not allowed to give it out, although Nelson Martins has made it public on his page his Facebook page in certain forums I'm going to ask him whether I can make those videos public and I will and for other people to see it's um, videos showing people coming into the airport on the day and the day prior also uh, videos of like certain areas within uh, the airport and they show really basically you know really nothing um, nothing incriminating anyway. The only video that really counts is the security screening video, and there's a lot of controversy behind that. But as for Newark and Logan, I will be honest as I can. I mean, you know, wh- why wouldn't I? I mean, uh, I would like to see videos of the videos of Logan and Newark myself if it's available. Why not? Uh, but there is none. If that up to this point, I'm going to make it probably a point of mine to get uh those videos in a future date of uh, when I make my own freedom of information request, so uh hopefully that answers your question. There is no video of Newark in Newark. okay um now, even though that there's no cameras at Newark or at, no CCTV video, the only video showing is the Dulles video showing the hijackers once you're screening. The video was uh, like I said was released by Motley Rice, who represents the families now. Of course, this is a point of contention for a lot of people saying there's no timestamp and that um, the video could be shot any day. Now, I'm going to dispel this rumor because the reason why there's no timestamp is when the FBI scrubbed the timestamp so they could see the video in full and see who's going through. Because at the bottom, you see the timestamp, the time blocks certain faces. Now, in the video, you'll see a victim from American Airlines Flight 77. Her name is Marie ray sopper she's going through security screening she's wearing a white shirt i think a um a blue blouse and she has her cat in a red cargo container and she actually if you see the video she's at the the metals the metal screening um the metal uh detector and she's holding the cat shoulder on her chest and she's told to put it in the red cargo container and that's going through uh the metal detector on the separate issue on the um uh, the belt and it's red. It's bright red. You can see it. And at the end of the video, where the timestamp would be, um, it's scripted up. And you can see her going through that area. And that leads right to the tarmac and to the, uh, the plane. Right behind her is Khalid Al-Midar and Majid Market. Khalid Ma- Al-Midar is wearing a, a yellow shirt. And I think um, Majid Makhit is wearing dark blue. I, I, I don't hold me to what He was wearing it, I forget. But that, you know, the video is authentic. And, you know, Marie Ray Sapper, her, her mother, Marion Kimenich, is a friend of mine on Facebook. And I've spoken with her and she says, yes, the, that's my daughter. And um, she gave a uh, um, an interview with, I think, uh, either C-SPAN or CNN at one point. And nice. Yeah, the video is authentic, just to get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, now, the 9-11 Commission estimated that the hijacking of American Airlines Flight 11 begins at 8.14 a.m. Muhammad Atta is believed to be the pilot, and there are two audio declarations which were meant for the passengers, but instead they were heard by Boston air traffic controlling, and they were made by Muhammad Atta. Now, Betty Ong and Madeline Amy Sweeney, both airline stewardesses, made airphone calls. They're the only two calls that were made. Ong states that a passenger in 9B turned out to be Daniel Lewin, who, by the way, is an Israeli special operations soldier for the Siyaret Matkali, a terrorist uh, uh, special ops uh, group. He was killed. Now, a formal draft was made by American Airlines uh, that claims Daniel Lewin was shot and killed by the hijacker located right behind him in C-10B, who was Satam al-Saskani.
2: Did you say shot?
1: Yeah, he was shot the draft states that he was shot however the report was denied by the faa administrator jane garvey who claimed that the person who report who who did the report it was his first day on the job and no con no gun was ever reported in the report it is quoted quote the american airlines FAA principal security inspector was notified by suzanne clark of american airlines corporate headquarters that an onboard flight attendant contacted American Airlines Operations Center and informed that a passenger located in seat 10B shot and killed a passenger in seat 9B at 9:20 a.m. and quote. The only person who can make that declaration would be Betty on And a lot of people like to say that these phone calls are. They never were made, and, that's, and you know a lot a lot of people within the truth movement like to dismiss these claims. Betty Ong's phone call, the audio itself or the transcript itself can only be heard in five minutes or ten minutes long, but it's much longer than that, and it's not heard by the public. There's an extra like seven minutes. I'm guessing that in that seven minutes, or I, I, don't hold me to the time, but in that uh, audio, which is not heard by the public. That's what she's informing the FAA about. And um, the 9-11 Commission doesn't even acknowledge this report and claims Lewin was stabbed from behind. Now, the 9-11 Commission estimates that Flight 175 was hijacked between 8.42 and 8.46 a.m. Marwan al shahi is believed to be the pilot. Flight attendant Robert Fangman, as well as two passengers, Peter Hansen, and Brian David Sweeney made airphone calls. Airphone calls are made to, um, uh, they're, they're actually fo- uh, phones that, that can make calls directly to the ground due to the uh, plane's uh, own operating system. Yeah. It doesn't matter how high it can make the phone calls. Now, Fangman reported the hijacking and said that the hijackers were likely flying the plane. He also said that both pilots were dead and that a flight attendant was stabbed. Brian David Sweeney calls his wife and tells her that they may storm the cop. The 9-11 Commission estimates that the flight uh, was hijacked, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, American Airlines Flight 77 hijacked between 8.51 and 8.54 a.m. Flight attendant Renee May and Barbara Olson make calls from this flight. Renee May uses her cell phone while Olsen calls once from an airphone and once from a cell. She col- she called to collect once and the other was a direct call. Renee May tells a mother that there were six hijackers on board as opposed to the 9-11 Commission and the FBI who states that there were only five. The 9-11 Commission states that on flight 93 began at 9.28 a.m., it is estimated. Um, Leroy Homer the flight pilot is heard by the FAA yelling "Mayday, Mayday" twice uh, at 9:28 a.m. Zia Jara is a suspected pilot and supposedly makes two announcements on board. This flight would have the most important calls made out of all four hijacked flights, and also have the most phone calls made as well. Ten passengers and two crew members were able to make calls. Tom Burnett, C.C. Lyles. Mark Bingham, Jeremy Glick, and Todd Beamer all state that the plane is hijacked by only three hijackers and not the four, as the FBI and 9-11 Commission states. I'll get into that in a bit with Zia Jara in your question and answer, Richard. Okay. Only two hijackers are in the cockpit, while only one is outside the door, but he's claiming to wear a bomb belt. Lauren Grancolas, Joseph DeLuca, Linda Groland, Marion Britton, and flight attendant Sandra Bradshaw make calls. At 8.46 a.m., and by the way, they're all cell phone calls. At 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the northern facade of the North Tower, Tower 1. There are 92 fatalities on board, 1,600 fatalities from the North Tower. At 9.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175 crashes nose first into the southern facade of the South Tower, Tower 2. There are 65 fatalities on board, 900 fatalities on the ground from the South Tower. At 9.37 a.m., American Airlines crashes into the west side of the Pentagon. There are 64 fatalities on board on the ground. With uh, I'm sorry, 65 fatalities aboard on and 125 fatalities on the ground. At 10:03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 93 crashes near Indian Lake in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The plane crashes into a reclaimed uh, strip mine known as the uh, as the uh, Diamond uh, T Mine, and they're owned by uh, PBS Coals in Stony Creek uh, Township, which is located. In Somerset County. There are 44 fatalities on board that flight. Nobody dies on the ground. It's in an open field. The flight recorders for flight 11 and 175 were supposedly never found. This is contradicted by two first responders who claimed that they recovered it and that the FBI collected it. Although this is uh, a gray area. uh, It's not really speculation. These are two people who claim to find it, but um, they claim the FBI claims and 9-11 claims that they never find, but take that with a grain of salt. The flight recorder for flight 77 was found, but damaged to the point where nothing could be extracted from the flight data, although the flight data recorder yielded useful information. For flight 93, investigators located the flight data recorder on September 13th and the cockpit voice recorder the following day. During the Zacharias Moussaoui trial in 2006, the cockpit voice audio was played for the victim families in a separate room. It's the only time that the audio was played. And In fact, I'm currently going to work on a freedom of information request regarding getting the audio. I'm, I'm going to be denied, I know. it. But the transcript was released for public view, not the audio. Uh, various pieces of aircraft debris was found within the records of the Pentagon on September 14th. Fairfax Urban County Urban Search and Rescue members, uh, Carlton Burkhammer, Brian Moravitz, come across intact seats from the plane's cockpit. Um, Navy Command Center L- Lieutenant Kerver, Kevin Schaefer observed a chunk of the aircraft's nose cone; pieces of it, very few, and the nose landing and the landing gear in the service road between rings B and C. Investigators also found a part of Nawaf hospice driver's license in the north parking lot, rubble pile, and human remains were taken to Dover Air Force Base Mortuary in Delaware. Of the five victims, there was nothing left at all, including um, uh, a three-year-old girl named Dana Falkenberger. Out of the five children on Flight 77 uh, disappeared without a trace, they were obliterated. Um, Somerset County Coroner Wally Miller was involved in investigation identifications of the human remains for Flight 93 Uh, Miller later found and identified uh, approximately 1,500 pieces of human remains, no bigger than a piece of the backbone, uh, totaling approximately 600 pounds of human remains. All the people on board uh, the flights were identified by December 21st, Flight 93, of course. Uh, Numerous eyewitnesses also witnessed a plane infecting the World Trade Center, Pentagon, and Shankville. All this, of course, is a point of contention for these uh, fringe conspiracy theorists who claim no, cra- no plane crashed anywhere at uh, Pentagon or Shanksville, where many eyewitnesses personally saw and, and heard the plane crash into both these areas. Nevertheless, the, the debris recovered, uh, human remains as well as the uh, uh, as well as the plane debris and human remains as well as uh, the eyewitness who plainly contracted the narratives based on the fantastical. Um, however, there are far more questions then there are answers to 9-11 investigations, including yours truly. Um, two congressional committees were formed at the behest of the New Jersey widows, as they were called, uh, families who lost loved ones in the World Trade Center attacks. And uh, The two congressional inquiries, which are the 9-11 Commission and the Joint House Inquiry, were both created to collect information, but they were both hindered by their directors from placing blame on the Intelligence Committees. Philip Zelikow, the director of the 9-11 commission who was appointed by the state department with complaints from the jersey widows and others that the investigation uh, would be hindered and they were right uh they would be incomplete all these investigations both of them would be incomplete and have a biased review of what really actually happened the joint house inquiry which was not as hindered as 9/11 commission from director eleanor hill was not as strict a nevertheless co-chair Kota Goss and Bob Graham were also stammered from the lack of cooperation from the Central Intelligence Agency and NORAD. NORAD itself would give false timelines regarding their responses on intercept flights on 9-11, while the CIA director, George Tennant, would at times would give false testimony and he would commit perjury regarding cables, such as the, the cable um, not being read by anyone at Alex Station regarding Khalid Al-Minar having a multi-entry visa into the United States when 53 agents from the CIA had indeed read that cable and didn't notify anyone from the in, from the FBI inside the United States until that infamous principals meeting on August 21st, of 2001, when it was much too late. At this date, no one was ever fired or subsequently blamed uh, for the 9-11 attacks. No one from the CIA, the NSA or the FBI, the Israeli Mossad agents that were seen celebrating attacks at Dork Towers, uh, they were released back to Israel, along with a multitude of other Israeli spies posing as art students. Then you have the Saudi nationals, such as Omar al-Bayoumi, Omar Basnan, Fahad al-Thumari. They all went back to Saudi Arabia. In fact, they were interviewed by the United Commission, and the interviews are completely redacted from public view. As for the Saudi national, who was in the hotel room as the same flight, Uh, 77 hijackers Salah bin Abdul Rahman Hussein the one I said was a prominent Saudi government official Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. he was questioned by the FBI shortly after the attacks Um, but he reportedly feigned a seizure during the interview and was taken to a nearby hospital where he was reported in perfect health but yep, on September 19th he was allowed to leave back to Saudi Arabia after FBI higher ups told the agents to leave him alone the infamous 28 pages, which was redacted, uh, which is the redacted area, the joint inquiry, the House Inquiry Report, had been released with some redactions showing Saudi nationals Omar al-Bayoumi, Omar Basnan, as well as Fahad al-Ghahmiri, receiving numerous wire transfers from Haifa bint Faisal, who gave it to the wives of al-Bayoumi and Basnan. Who's Haifa bin Faisal? Well, she's the wife of U.S. Saudi ambassador and very close friend to the Bush family, Bandar bin sultan. Another document, which was ignored by the two uh, congressional inquiries, called the Shea Memo, a report drafted by Gerald Shea, a retired corporate lawyer. The report gives intricate and complete detail of who was following the al-Qaeda operatives in Florida, in New Jersey, and in New York, and at which places. The number of Israeli agents, um, what they were involved in, what they were involved in inside the United States is intricately detailed. And, it were, and it's, this is a report that is not really publicly known. It's on my Facebook wall, but for anyone that wants to go directly uh, to read the report, just type in Shea memo PDF and you could download it for yourself. In the report, Shea quotes the following, quote, why the, why the Israeli government um, decided not to share with us, all the critical information that they had and the extent of that information is a subject for public inquiry. They may have thought some sort of warning prudent in the event their surveillance activities later became a matter of public knowledge. But any energetic Israeli effort to assist the United States in preventing the attacks would not have served the strategic interest, their strategic interest, in view of the disastrous effect those attacks were likely to have on the relationships between the United States and the Arab world, end quote. The events that took place on 9-11 uh, will always have a continual ripple effect, which will have a detrimental effect, not just on the Arab world, but to the entire world all over for all of time while all of it coming at the hands of our own government and the intelligence agencies here and abroad, which were complicit in attacks by allowing them to happen in the first place, for it served at the interest of agencies and individuals here and abroad.
0: Okay, everyone, thank you very much for listening. We actually went on at that point to talk about Ziad Jara, one of the, well, the the sensible pilot of Flight 93, However, we've subsequently recorded a whole episode on that on The Darkened Hour, so I'll cut this interview there and direct you to that for further information. As I said at the start, that concludes the series proper. Do check out Adam's channel to keep up to date with what he's doing, and I'll publish some of the more general information stuff I do with him on my channel as well. So thank you for listening to everything we've done so far. It's been immensely informative and educational for me to go through this with Adam, to have that opportunity. And I hope that's come across and you've all gotten something from it too.